I'm home. This is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look into video gaming from the classic era until today. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, Brian here, and this is episode number 17 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Okay, um, a little bit has been going on in my life over the last three weeks ever since I recorded and posted uh, episode 16. Um, first thing that happened, um, I uh, suffered a knee injury. Um, I had to take two days off of work. And up until the beginning of uh, last week, I was having to use crutches in order to get around. Um, I still have to make an uh, appointment with uh, the orthopedic, and we're going to go from there. Hopefully it's nothing serious, hopefully nothing that requires surgery, hopefully something that just needs physical therapy, and we'll just go from there. I'll, I'll let you guys know what's going on. Um, but on the positive note, I got a uh, nice little... Uh, acknowledgement from uh, Anuj Agarwal, I think that's how you pronounce his name, if not, I apologize, um, from uh, Feedspot.com. Um, he emailed me and he says, he said, hi, Brian, I emailed you regarding your website and it was selected by Feedspot as one of the top 15 arcade game podcasts on the web. And that uh, address is blog.feedspot.com slash arcade underscore game underscore podcasts. I looked at this website myself and I recognize a couple of uh, arcade podcasts that are on there. And I'm really honored uh, that I was selected to be among this group. I mean, I've only been doing this podcast a little bit more than a year and it's still bare bones bargain basement i do most of my recording off of my phone i would love to get to a point where i could you know purchase a, a professional microphone and everything like that but small steps right um but anyway i want to thank anuj and his uh site feedspot.com for the honor uh when i read this email i was absolutely tickled pink um it's good feedback like this that really you know motivates me to keep this thing going along with uh all of the likes and the positive support i get on facebook and things of that nature so you know that's that was really cool and i'm really honored and i'm glad that 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 happened um let's see what else um because of my knee injury, I haven't been able to get over to uh, Marvin's Marvelous Machine Museum, which is about four miles away from where I work. And after work on a Friday, um, I'm only saying Friday because I get out early on Fridays, um, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to give, give the place a good once over. And, of course, there will be an arcade review and an arcade rundown for it. So, you know, stay tuned as always. Now, the other thing that I got was an email from my friend Mark. He and I had been corresponding back and forth over uh, 
a little space and time, I thought I'd read the original email that he sent me. He, you know, like I've said, for those who are listening, Mark is a good friend of mine who I met in the arcade and we hung out and went to arcades and parties and things like that over the years. And I consider him a good friend. You know, he sort of was <laughs> at the risk of sounding a little emotional, a little schmoopy. I considered him like my foster older brother because, you know, he was always trying to keep me on the straight and narrow path, even though I was too stubborn to listen at the time. But that's neither here nor there. To the email. Uh, he says, Brian, hey, buddy, I was just going through some of your older podcasts and I had apparently had missed episode seven and had just finished listening to it. Some of this stuff I don't even remember, but I had no idea you were playing Matt Mania for two hours while I was in the movie theater. Was I really that broke that I couldn't afford a ticket for you? Man, I don't remember, but I do apologize. Why did I invite you with us if I couldn't afford the damn ticket? Now I feel bad. Uh, to answer that, Mark was a very generous person. I mean, not only did he tolerate my presence because, you know, I was acting like that younger brother was always wanting to tag along with him while he went and did cool things and went went to cool places. Um, he, you know, did a lot of charitable things. You know, he fed me when I was hungry and I couldn't afford it. You know, he spotted me a couple of dollars when we went to Milford Rec and we... You know, they were playing games and I couldn't because, I, like a dumbass, I spent all my allowance money and didn't, you know, budget a $5 or something so that I could, you know, play games along with them. Um, you know, he was always, he was always good to me and he's always been a good friend and, you know, I couldn't repay him even if I tried to, even if I could really. But yeah, I mean, Mark, don't worry about that. I mean... You spotted me, you know, you spotted me so many times that, you know, it's okay. You know, I just made the best of the situation and it was kind of funny when you guys came out of that movie theater, you know, when you guys were like amazed, like, you're still playing that game? I'm like, yeah, I'm good at it. <laughs> but anyway, okay, to continue with the email, let's see, uh, he has a, he's telling me that, you know, he wants to come on and talk on the show and that is coming we just have to get our schedules to coincide i mean i work a lot and so does he so aside from corresponding through emails you know we haven't been able to do it yet but we will that's a promise um okay he was wanted to talk about some of the things that happened um after i had left connecticut so here it goes uh circa 2001 to 2004 uh, I began to marketing to internet casinos, and they were all coming to me to get them players. Um, my system was working well, so I got uh, my brother-in-law and a couple of friends as co uh, for uh, co-workers. I bought a giant house in North Haven, just had the birth of my baby girl in 2001, and things were going well. So I figured one, I would fulfill one fantasy I had since I was a kid, my very own arcade. Um... It all came down at the right time. Uh, I had buddies working with me daily. The actual work we had to do was maybe two hours out of the day with left us with left us BSing and doing other things. So I figured, what the hell, let's set up an arcade. And whenever one of us made a sale, our reward would be one hour to play in the arcade. Now, 
I'm as an aside, <laughs> Mark makes a really good boss. <laughs> you know, he knew how to motivate people, apparently, even at, you know, back in those days, because, you know, we're talking at least 15 years ago. So, you know, aside from, you know, making money, you know, doing their marketing, um, he also gave that reward saying, yeah, if you make a sale, you can play in the arcade for an hour. So to continue, uh, the house came with a long 14 by 30 unfinished room in the basement with a door leading outside at one end. The door would be the loading area, and that's how I got the video games into the house. Uh, I contacted some guy named Mike, who was an actual arcade machine distributor. I'll never forget when I walked into his warehouse on that very first day. Every arcade game in the world was under his roof with price tags on them. Some were cheap, two, $250, $500. Others were expensive, $2,500 and up. I think my budget initially was like $4,000. I wanted to try and make that budget stretch out so I could fill up as much of the arcade as possible. So Mike pulled me aside and said, well, if you want to do that, you're going to need to learn how to just buy the ROM boards and interchange them in the cabinet. Like this Super Cobra game you're looking at, you can buy the Scramble ROM board for $100 on the internet and play both games just by switching boards. So at that point, my eyes gleamed and I was hooked. Uh, I began to research which games supported which boards, and I was floored and pumped about it. If I bought a Donkey Kong cabinet from this guy, I'd be able to buy a dozen more boards and interchange them and play all those games on, on the same cabinet. So I bought from Mike. I bought the old ROM boards he had, dusty and in boxes. I was like a junk collector. Within two months, the arcade was completely filled. I had it all run into the light switch, so the moment you turned on that magical switch, every game would turn on. It was literally like having my own arcade. <laughs> Dude, you were owning your own arcade, that's for sure. Um, just him saying, you know, talking about having it run into the light switch, and as soon as you turn the switch on, it turned on all the games. You know, that just brings me to that one scene in Tron Legacy where Sam goes back to his father's arcade and he just starts turning on lights and turning on all the all the video games, and it's just one of those things where it's just an awesome image. I would love to have that myself. Um, one of the fondest memories was when the Mario Brothers machine was in. Uh, my buddy Steve and I used to play Mario Brothers combat style, like you mentioned, in one of your podcasts. Thank you. Yeah. As an aside, that was awesome to watch because, you know, like I said, when I did my, uh, um, what was it, uh, my arcade or my top tens for what is it 1983 i think um yeah mark and mark and steve were the guys i usually hung out with when they went to arcades and they'd play mario brothers and they play a cutthroat style trying to kill each other and it, it was pretty good because they were both really good game players but to continue um we stood we stood side by side and began playing just like the old days i felt like i was a teenager again it was awesome yeah, I'm really jealous at this point. Um, one of the travesties about this amazing experience is that I don't have a photograph to be found. I'm going to look harder. There had to have been a photo taken. I can't believe I was so stupid and unsentimental not to have any pics floating around. I'm sure my wife must have taken some. Here's the list as best as I can remember, but I'm missing a lot. I had at least 15 to 18 total cabinets. On the left side of the room, he had Cloak and Dagger, Pandora's Palace, 
uh, Scramble and Super Cobra, Punch-Out, Super Punch-Out, Mario Brothers, Rolling Thunder, Jurassic Park, Pinball. On the right side of the room, he had uh, Bank Panic, Another Pandora's Palace, Karate Champ, Quicks, and Tetris. Now, that list of games, <laughs> that's so Mark. <laughs> Just going off my memories of this. He, I mean, I remember when Cloak and Dagger first came out, he was all over that game. He was really good at Pandora's Palace. Um, he was really good at Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out. Um, Mario Brothers, I already talked about. Um, Bank Panic, he actually got me into that game. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of it until he showed me how to play it, and I was hooked. Um, it's funny that he has a karate champ. <laughs> I mean, and I remember, I think... That's how I met Mark was over a Quicks machine, over a Quicks game um, in Trumbull Mall Arcade. I think that's how I first met him. I'm not sure. I had a cocktail cabinet at one point as well, a crazy climber. Uh, I don't remember why I sold it, but I regret that today. Um, eventually, I sold all of the games. Kids grow up, how space becomes more valuable, and that room is not a, now a workout room slash gym in my home. But I miss the days of having friends and coworkers you know, uh, making money and all of us celebrating in the arcade. I wish you were too there, Brian. I know for a fact, if you were still in Connecticut, when I came back from college, you would have been working with all of us, but such is life. Nobody, no, no one knows what's around every corner. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. I was out of Connecticut by 1993. You know, I had kind of had enough from everything that had happened in that year and the year before actually 92. Um, the sad part about selling my selling games is that they went dirt cheap. I had them all in my garage. I couldn't find any buyers. And I think ultimately I, I sold the entire lot for like $1,500 just to get rid of them. My investment in the arcade was a complete and total loss, but I wasn't in it for the money. Yeah, that's exactly right. You got to look in it, look at it that way. <laughs> you know, you can't do this and, you know, think you can just turn around and flip stuff for a profit, you know, Things are just a little too crazy when it comes to selling arcade games from what I've seen. You know, all you got to do is just look on uh, various uh, uh, arcade uh, sale groups on Facebook and you see what people are asking for some things and, you know, how ridiculous it can be, you know, whether it's too little or too much. But anyway, I digress. Um, eventually, I would get into pinball. I wound up buying four pinball machines, including a Funhouse, Twilight Zone, Dracula, and I forgot the other one. Um, my pinball phase lasted about two years. I finally decided I missed my arcade games, but no way would I ever buy so many cabinets again. So I bought a JAMA cabinet. It cost me $2,500, and that one cabinet was able to play literally most of the games I wanted until it crapped out maybe four years ago, and I've been game-free ever since. That sucks. <laughs> especially considering you spent $2,500 on it. That really sucks. Let's see. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to let you know the arcade is something I never got a chance to tell you about, and I'm always available to talk with you on a future show if you want to hear, hear more. Peace, brother. Mark. Yeah, and, you know, that's what I mean. Mark is a good guy. He always was. I mean... <laughs> you know, he, I think, was misunderstood by a lot of people. But, yeah, you know, at least to me, he was a good dude, you know, most of the time. Um, yeah, I am going to have him on this show. I might have him on semi-regularly and see what we can uh, do with it and see if, you know, where we can go as far as 
you know, if he wants to make a lasting contribution to the show. So stay tuned, folks. Um, those are the emails I've got. So if you want to email and contribute to the show in your own way, just get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, we have a phone number for voicemails. That number is 734-743-2433. Also, we have uh, social media running constantly, of course. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. On Facebook, it is Confessions of an Arcade Addict. Just search that. On Twitter, it is at arcadeaddict underscore B. On Instagram, it is at arcadeaddictbrian. And Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So there are, of course, various ways to get a hold of the show and contribute if you're so inclined. So have at it. So with all of that spoken about and uh, everything's caught up, so let's get into the meat of the show. So let's go into story time. Our bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Okay, story time. All right, this is moving to Michigan. Um, okay, the time is November 2002. That's when I left Orlando, Florida and moved up to Michigan. Okay. Uh, at this time, it, I am 33 years old. A lot of frustrating things had happened in my life over the last, I want to say, two and a half years. And I kind of felt it was time for me to move on from here. Uh, my roommate and I, we parted ways in 1996 under some really bad circumstances and we would not get the chance to reconcile until much later. Um, all the arcades in the area had shut down except of course those on Disney property and a couple on international drive. And I was also trying really hard and, and not being successful in finding a decent job. Um, so those, all those situations were just really getting to me. Um, I made some friends online who lived in Michigan and I decided I was going to start going up there, you know, semi-regularly. Um, the only way I was really satisfying my arcade game Jones was through emulation at this point. Um, with the advent of high speed internet and, uh, cable internet, especially, um, you could find these things fairly easily. Um, the internet was growing like by leaps and bounds almost every year. You know, it was growing almost exponentially, at least in the way I saw it. So yeah, my life had changed a whole lot and I just said, okay, it's time to, it's time to change it again. I'm not comfortable with the way where my life is and I need to do something to shake things up and hopefully things get better for me. So after visit, visiting with my friends, 
several times between 2000 and 2002 um, and talking with them about, you know, uh, various things, I decided to move in with them. So I basically just put in my notice at the job I was working. <laughs> they weren't too happy with me, but such is life. I gave them two weeks notice and their happiness is irrelevant. <laughs> um, and I just basically just got as much money together as I could. And I rented a, uh, U-Haul truck, packed all my stuff in it and just left Orlando and started, got on the highway and headed towards Michigan. Um, I did go a long way around because I had a friend in Ohio that I wanted to hang out with before I went to Michigan. So instead of going straight up Interstate 75, which would have put me, you know, in Michigan in the space of, oh, what, uh, a day and a half, two days maybe, um, I decided to go uh, this way. So... I basically went up I-4 to I-95 to I-77 and take I-77 all the way up into Ohio. I remember driving that truck and it was, <laughs> it was a hoopty. There's no other way to describe it. It had uh, some sort of engine and transmission issue, which, you know, was okay. It was just getting it up to highway speed that was the problem. And then I really had some harrowing moments when I got up into uh, uh, West Virginia. Because as you know, if you're driving up I-77 going through West Virginia, you're going straight through the uh, Appalachian Mountains. And some of them are pretty steep. And there were a couple where I am... <laughs> I've got my foot to the floor and this truck is doing maybe 30 miles an hour uphill. And I was just like, Oh my God, if this thing gives out, I'm probably dead, <laughs> but it made it. I will say that. I mean, I made it to Ohio stayed overnight and then, uh, drove to Michigan in the next day. I lived with my roommate roommates and my, uh, ex-girlfriend, uh, for two years until July of 2004, when I got my own place. Um, unfortunately I broke up with my girlfriend in, what was it? Uh, earlier, I'd say probably early 2003, spring 2003. Um, and I basically got my own place in July of 2004. Um, my mother passed away in April of 2004 and, uh, she took care of both my stepfather and I with an insurance policy. And with that, I was able to get my own place, get my own car. Well, actually, I got a car from my roommates. I got a better car. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, so once I got myself sort of established, I was on the hunt for arcades, of course. I only found Pinball Pete's in 2003. And aside from seeing uh, a random machine in a bowling alley or something like that, I wasn't able to find very much. Um, I didn't go too far afield then, and I probably should have, but at the same time, this area wasn't quite what it is now. 
um, especially Detroit. Detroit is on a comeback, which is a good thing. So with that going on, uh, there are a lot more businesses. Um, I did a, a internet search uh, a few months ago, and I came up with several places that I want to go and check out for the podcast. Um, I will uh, probably give a list of those places, and if anybody's been to these places, uh, by all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Um, let me know what you think of these places. Yeah, so I didn't see any uh, really any like dedicated arcades until the middle 2010s, um, aside from Pinball Pete's. The arcade in Brighton, I think they started in 2014, and they've been in business ever since. But yeah, I still live in Michigan. You know, it's my home. Um, I'm a professional driver by trade. Um, not tractor trailer trucks, but pretty much everything below that that doesn't require special license. I've driven it. You know, I've done test driving. I've done delivery driving. Um, I have a driving position with the company I'm with now. And that's just it. I mean, just aside from being an arcade junkie, one of my other loves is driving. So I've gotten to see a lot of the state of Michigan. And because of that, I was also able to find arcades. In the present day, nothing makes the nine-year-old in me happier than seeing a legitimate arcade somewhere. Over the last two or three years, there have been quite a few popping up in the greater Detroit Ann Arbor area in various iterations, being it uh, a arcade attached to something else or uh, a barcade or an actual standalone arcade. Um, I fully plan on getting to them and telling my experiences on this podcast and we'll go from there. So that's story time. Um, with that being said, I'm going to keep the ball rolling. Let's go to Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. The arcades when I moved to Michigan. Now, there haven't been very many. Um, there are only, like, three that I've been to in the, what, 17 years I've been in, living in this state now? Um, of course, the first one's Pinball Pete's. Um, it's on South University Avenue on the northeast side of downtown Ann Arbor, and it's close to University of Michigan Hospital. Uh, when I first started coming here, they had a lot more arcade games, but over the years, they've moved more and more towards the redemption games. I'd say at least a quarter of the machines in place are now redemption games. Um, of course, they have uh, a ton of pinball you know, as the name suggests, and they do have several classic arcade games. Um, I've said a lot about Pinball Pete's already. I've done an arcade review of Pinball Pete's, and, you know, I'm just not going to go any further because I'm just beating a dead horse at this point. So, moving on. The Arcade in Brighton. Um, that one opened, I believe, in 2014, 
when I first went there, it ran on tokens. Every game in there was two tokens, except for some old uh, pinball machines. They literally had dozens of machines in the place, but the majority of them either didn't work properly, didn't work at all, or they were still wrapped in shrink wrap. That's how I knew they had just opened. Because the setup, when I first went there, um, they had uh, a lot of old school arcade games uh, on the second floor. It's a two floor building. Um, And on the bottom floor, they had older uh, old, uh, pinball machines and, uh, some, a couple of new ones. So, um, yeah, a lot of them were still, they didn't work or they were still in shrink wrap. Um, I think they were just trying to get their footing and they, I think they just got what they had out there to, you know, start and start the business going. Um, over the next five years, they've made a complete turnaround and made this the premier arcade in the state of Michigan. You know, listening to uh, the people who reviewed the place, they went the way of like Galloping Ghost Arcade in Chicago and charged a flat fee for entrance, and all the games are on free play. Um, they have machines that I've not seen or played since I was a kid. I love it. You know, I, the only regret that I have is that I don't go to this place as often as I like. Um, I did go to the arcade recently, um, on, uh, September 8th and I realize I recognize what they're doing, but I think in a, a couple of ways they take a small step back. Um, it's still a wonderful arcade, but they're moving more and more towards, uh, pinball and the huge uh, multiplayer games and the imports from Japan that they have that those games uh, take up, I'd say probably about 30% of floor space on the bottom floor. Um, and while that's well and good, you know, cause they have only a certain amount of floor space. And, you know, when I went in there uh, a few weeks ago, yeah, if they, they need a bigger place now more than ever. And I'm hoping they get one. Um, but because of their new layout, uh, they sacrifice, you know, a lot of the classic games they had aren't, aren't there anymore. Um, the classics, they do all the classic games. They moved them down to the first floor because they used to be on the, when they first started it, in their best iteration, I will say, they had classic games on the bottom floor and the second floor. But they moved all of the classic games to the first floor. And um, at least from what I saw, I think the second floor they're going to reserve for parties and like a, a resting space or an eating space. So, you know, I think they're still evolving and they're still experimenting with better ways or other ways to get as many games out there as they can. And I commend them for that. Um, so yeah, the arcade in Brighton, um, Marvin's marvelous mechanical museum. That's in Farmington Hills. Like I said, that's only a few miles away from where I work. Um, I've only been there once and from everything I remember, uh, the place is like stepping into the twilight zone. And I mean that in a good way. I mean, there's so much to see around the place. Uh, old fortune-telling machines, horror movie stuff, um, 
old carnival stuff. Um, you know, they do have some redemption games. Um, they do have arcade games as well, but it's the stuff that's around, you know, and there's so much of it. It's almost, a, it's almost enough to put you on sensory overload. Um, I thought this place was really cool when I went there the one time and I'm going to go back there. Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go over there after, uh, work on a Friday night and just re take a really good look around and I'll do a legitimate rundown and review. So those are the three arcade arcades in Michigan that I have been to and or frequent. There are, oh my goodness, I think six or seven other places in the greater Detroit area that I want to check out, but I have to plan it out correctly. Um, I, you know, number one, I have to have the time to devote to really rooting around in these places and also having, you know, the funds to do it. So like, as I've said for the last year or so, ever since I started this podcast, my finances are kind of bad. So I'm trying to do this without, you know, crippling myself financially. So, but I will get to these places. I will do uh, rundowns and reviews for them. So stay tuned as always. Um, so those are the three. Um, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. If you've got any opinions of these places, I want to know about it. I want to know what you think. So, you know, if you have the inclination, get a hold of me. I'll read your stuff on the show and we'll go from there. So, without any further ado, let's go into Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're, we're not, not too old, old for this shit. We're not, not too, too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced, Phoenix? This game was one of the better ones that came out in 1980. Um, I love playing it. I love playing it to this day in emulation. Uh, I love playing it at the arcade in Brighton, you know, when I'm so inclined. It was a really good game, and I honestly think it might have even been a little bit underrated. So, to go to Wikipedia and give you a little bit of info, Phoenix is an outer space-themed fixed shooter game released in the arcades in 1980. According to Century's Joe Hochberg, the game was licensed from a smaller Japanese developer. Amstar Electronics, which was located in Phoenix, Arizona, licensed the game to Century for manufacture in the United States. Taito released the game in Japan. Atari Incorporated released a port of Phoenix for the Atari 2600 in 1982. And that's a really good arcade translation. Probably one of their best ones aside from Ms. Pac-Man. Um... The Phoenix Mothership is one of the first video arcade game bosses to be be presented as a separate challenge. This was before the term boss was coined. 
the get, the player controls a spaceship that moves horizontally at the bottom of the screen, firing upward. Enemies, usually one of two types of birds, appear on the screen above the player's ship, shooting at it and periodically diving toward it in an attempt to crash into it. The ship is equipped with a shield that can be used to zap any of the alien creatures that attempt to crash into it. The player cannot move while the shield is active and must wait approximately five seconds before using it again. The player starts with three or six lives, depending on the settings. One life is lost whenever the ship is hit by any enemy or projectile while the shield is down. Each level has five separate rounds. The player must complete a round to advance to the next one. Rounds one and two. The player must destroy a formation of alien birds. While in formation, some of the birds fly down kamikaze style in an attempt to destroy the player's spaceship by crashing into it. Hang a bird-like enemy flying diagonally awards a bonus score. The bird-like enemies are yellow in round one and pink in round two. The player's spaceship is given rapid fire for round two, where the bird-like creatures fly somewhat more unpredictably. Rounds three and four. Flying eggs float on the screen and seconds later hatch, relieve, eh, revealing larger alien birds resembling phoenixes, <laughs> phoenixes uh, which swoop down on the player's spaceship. The only way to destroy one of these bird-like creatures is by hitting it in its belly. Shooting one of the wings merely destroys that wing, and if both wings are destroyed, they will regenerate. From time to time, the bird-like creatures may also revert to egg form for a brief period, the bird-like creatures are blue in round three and pink in round four. Round five, the player is pitted against the mothership, which is controlled by an alien creature sitting at its center. To complete this round, the player must create a hole in the conveyor, conveyor belt type shield to get a clear shot at the alien. Hitting the alien with a single shot ends the level and scores from 400 to 8,200 points. The mothership fires missiles at the player's ship, moves slowly down towards it, and has alien birds from rounds one and two protecting it. Defeating all the birds will produce a new wave. The game continues with increasing speed and unpredictability of the bird-like creature in Phoenix Flights. Uh, there is a bug in the game where if the player shoots three bird-like enemies... Uh, in a row very quickly as they fly diagonally, the score is set to a value in the vicinity of 204,000 points, which is true because I did it once while playing the game at uh, the Arcade in Brighton. I had forgotten about that trick. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, a rather well, well-known well trick, but it was difficult to pull off. It was really difficult to pull off. Uh, my personal experiences of the game are many. Um, I remember the Trumbull Mall Arcade got this game. I'm trying to remember what time it was. I want to say it was like the summer of 1980, maybe even it, between spring and say, let's say March and September of 1980. I think it's what, that's when it was. Um, as you know, it's almost 40 years ago. So my memory's a little, hey, uh, a little fuzzy. Um, but yeah, uh, it got moderate interest at first, but once, people figured out how to play it properly. You know, it got more interest. The game was fun to play, but you really had to know how to move, shoot, and use your shields, and also how to maximize your points when it came to the mothership. Uh, it took me a long time to figure out that you had to wear all, weigh all of the hull before you shot through the conveyor belt shield and shot the alien in the center for maximum points. As I said, the Arcade in Brighton has one, 
And anytime I go there, I usually play a game or two as well as emulation. Um, it's a fun game. Um, if you can find it in emulation, yeah, I would advise, I would certainly advise it. Um, also the, as I said before, the, uh, 2600 port of Phoenix is probably one of the best ones they ever did. Vic Sage did a wonderful uh, review of Phoenix on uh, Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast, which, as I've said always, is one of the direct inspirations for this show. But yeah, it's one of those games where you have to really practice at it to get good at it, because there's just a lot going on with that game. So I would say... By all means, if you can find it, play it. It's one of the better ones out there. So that is our experience for Phoenix. Uh, any questions, comments, critiques, what have you, you know what to do. Brian at gmail.com. And now it's time for some strategy. Time for some strategy, Phoenix. Okay. Um, as I said in the previous segment, um, I played this quite a bit when it first came out, and uh, Trumbull Mall got it. Um, it's one of those games where it's not that difficult to learn how to play, but it is rather difficult to master. Um, when you start off, you have your yellow little mini phoenixes or yellow birds, whatever you want to call them, and they're in formation. Basically, you want to reduce their numbers as quickly as possible. So they'll be sitting in formation for, I want to say, three to five seconds before uh, various ones start dive bombing you. Uh, firing bombs at you and also moving in certain patterns uh, to try and ram you if you're not paying attention. Um, sometimes they'll actually go all the way down to the level of your spacecraft or even below it and they'll sit there for a while and just sort of move to, you know, move to one side of the screen. Um, what I usually did when that happened and they were close, I would get as close to them as possible. I would hit the shield button, they'd run into it, and they'd be destroyed. Um, using the shield is key to your survivability in this game. You never should rely upon it heavily. Um, your best bet is to learn evasion techniques, the best ways to move to where the enemy isn't. Uh, this will get more problematic as you go through the game, but in the first uh, stages, the first five stages, um, it's not that much of a problem. Um, what you should do is... Um, 
just make sure to keep that shield at the ready or be ready to use it at a moment's notice when you see that you might be in a tough spot or there's just no way of evading either the birds or their shots. Um, But yeah, use it sparingly. Don't overuse it. Meaning that every time that you have it, every time that you have it, that you use it. No, you save it for when you're in a pickle to get yourself out of it. Because there, and there are some times where the, um, the shield, if you hit it too early, you will, uh, the shield will go away just as an enemy shot is heading towards you and it'll destroy you before you have a chance to move out of the way. That's happened to me more times than I care to admit with this game. Um, um, usually, um, you just want to whittle down the enemy forces. Now, there, this, the thing is, is that, and this is true for the mini phoenixes and the big phoenixes, um, that once they get down to under four and under, they move much, much faster and their, uh, their patterns are more aggressive. So it requires you to stay alert and even to ramp up your alertness level a little bit, if only to keep yourself from getting killed. Um, with the first wave, um, if you're trying to go for points, um, it's a dangerous thing to do, but what you need to do is to let them come down. Uh, sometimes when they come down formation, the first, the first level, uh, they'll only come down in like groups of three at the most, um, you know, in, in numbers from one to three at the most. Um, what they will do is they'll come down to the bottom of the screen and sometimes they'll turn around and they'll start flying in diagonal, uh, in diagonal directions heading up to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right. Sometimes when they're doing that, they'll break out of it and like do this loop thing where they revert back to their original state and they'll, you know, bomb, you know, they'll throw bombs at you. Then they'll loop back up and they'll go all the way back up until they reach the formation again. Um, shooting them when they're flying in the diagonals is 200 points apiece. Um, like I also said in, uh, the previous segment, if somehow, and it's really hard to do on the first stage, much easier on the second, I will get to that in a moment. But if you shoot three phoenixes, they're flying diagonally in like really short order, like within a second of each other or even less, you'll get like 200,000 points. That happened to me um, one time when I was playing Phoenix in uh, at the arcade in Brighton. I want to say that happened sometime last year, maybe even early this year. I can't remember exactly, but it did happen. That's a known glitch for the game. That that that's been, that glitch has been known about for I'd say. I'd say uh, after the game had been out maybe six months to a year, everyone knew about that. But knowing about it and actually doing it, those are two different things. Um, So yeah, basically you want to whittle their numbers down. If you want to go for the points, 
Um, wait until a group of them come down, and if they start flying, you start shooting at them. You know, each shot is 200 points. So that's a way to, if you want to point press, <laughs> I hate that term, by the way. If you want to point press, that's a way to do it, even though it puts you at significantly greater risk. Um, stage two, um, the Phoenix, the mini Phoenixes are pink, even though it's, to me, it's more of a purplish kind of pink, but yeah, it's pink, whatever. Um, now you have much greater firepower, meaning that you can have two shots on the screen at one time. And basically what I do when I have that is that I start from the middle and I just like move to the left firing the whole way and you'll take out at least half their force before they start bombing you um there have been times where I've taken out the majority of the formation before they even send someone after me and um when they do that of course they start moving faster their patterns get more aggressive blah 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 this is the stage where you can get that 200,000 point trick, but it is really difficult. I did it completely by accident. I wasn't even trying to do it. When I did it, I'd forgotten that trick existed up until uh, I ended the stage and I looked up my score. My score was like 200 and like 207, 208,000. I'm like, how did that happen? I mean, I'd forgotten that trick existed up until uh, I did the research for Phoenix when I was putting together segments for this podcast. Um, but it's the same thing. Um, use your shield only when you absolutely have to and just take them out as quickly as possible. If you want a point press, you can do the same thing here. It's much easier here. And yeah, you can actually do that 200,000 point trick if you're able to, but it's really hard to do. Um, Stage three, this is where the big phoenixes come in. Uh, the first set of them are blue. They're in like this snake style pattern from about, I'd say probably about three fifths of the screen, you know, three fifths of the way down on the screen all the way to the top. I think there are like eight of them. And they'll go back and forth, they'll wave back and forth for about, I want to say, five to ten seconds and then they start morphing into phoenixes um the if you want to point press with phoenixes it, it's more even more dangerous here the best way to do it is to shoot both the wings then shoot the remaining phoenix uh and you know the point value i think goes from like i'll have to look it up or at least play phoenix when i get home i'm on the road as we as you probably have determined um, I think the point value goes from like a hundred points to like 980 or something like that. Um, so it can vary, it can vary wildly. Um, but yeah, as a general rule, if you shoot both the wings off the Phoenix before you shoot the Phoenix, you get more points. Um, they will, um, basically fly back and forth across the screen in these sweeping movements. Um, the easiest way to kill them is to sit on one side of the screen in the corner and wait for them to, to fly over to you because they will fly over to you and you can kill them that way. Um, 
but after a few seconds of their after their transformation they'll actually start trying to dive bomb you as well as drop bombs on you as well so um you have to really be doubly careful um you, you this is where you have to only use your shield when you absolutely have to there you know because if you use your shield um recklessly shall i say um that's when you get where um it happens a lot more during the phoenix stage but like like uh you know of course you can't move while your shield is being used and sometimes they'll actually come back over and drop another shot while your shield is up and you can't move and sometimes the timing is such where um just as your shield goes down the bomb comes down and kills you i've had that happen um also they will sweep back and forth especially once there are three or fewer phoenixes on the screen now they'll now they're going to try and dive bomb you as well as shoot at you but even still the corner trick works but don't trap yourself it's it's easy to trap yourself especially if you've used your shield already and you're somewhere in that five minute or five second grace period um and they'll have like the shots staggered like one will be the closest one will be to your right and then the one that's a little further back will be on a line with your ship and there's no way to get out of that if the shots get close enough you know so and also you can set the phoenixes up to where they'll try to dive bomb you and if you hit your shield at the right time they'll run right into it and destroy themselves um same thing for the pink phoenixes except now the eggs there are four four on the left side four on the right side and they'll cross over um i basically figured out that if you time your shot when they first start crossing over you could hit one of them um and then you know they'll transform same same thing wash rinse repeat you know be careful don't trap yourself um if you're trying to get more points try to shoot the wings off the phoenix and then shoot the main shoot the the body and you'll get more points um and i think that's yeah it's pretty much it. it's the same as the blue just they look different they don't act any differently but yeah once you get three or fewer phoenixes they move a lot faster um now the mothership stage which is basically a battleship type thing with an alien in the center and you like it's like i said in the previous segment you have that belt shield uh constantly moving from right to left and then you have the actual hull of the spacecraft um if you really want to uh try to get as many points as you can you have the easiest way to do it is to shoot away all of the belt shield and all of the hull but the problem is by the time that happens the mothership has gone all the way down to where it's only a couple of inches above where your spaceship is and not only that you also have the mini phoenixes trying to dive bomb you and shoot you so the best way to deal with that is if you're going to do it that way shoot all but five of the mini phoenixes as they come down 
and then just shoot the hallway pieces at a time. Um, what I would suggest when you start the stages to shoot the um, shoot the hall right in front of the right below the the alien in the middle of the mother mothership and wear that away first. Now, when you're sitting there, the mothership is going to shoot bombs at you, so it's best to just stick and move. Take a couple, of, take a few shots at the hull. When the bombs start getting close to you, move away. Take a few more shots until you get to the belt. Then, um, go to the right or the left side of the mothership, right at the edge where the hull is thinnest. Shoot that away, and then shoot the belt. As the mothership gets closer, um, of course, you'll be able to shoot the belt shield away faster. Um, then, once you're done with that, when, you know, once you do all of that, then uh, start shooting the hull away, starting from the area where you shot away the belt shield, moving left or right towards the middle. And keep doing that all the while, you know, keeping... Um, watch over the mini phoenixes, making sure they don't trap you or shoot you down. Uh, use your shield, you know, not judiciously, but carefully. Um, always have it as a last resort in case uh, they start coming down, in case the mini phoenixes start coming down in multiples, which will happen in, uh, in future... Um, waves. Um, but yeah, don't shoot too many, you know, don't shoot at too many of the mini phoenixes because if you shoot four or shoot him down, you know, shoot, get them down to four or less, then they start moving hyper fast. And that just adds a complication you don't need. Um, after that, then, um, once you've worn away all of the, all of the hull and all the belt shield, just move to the middle, shoot the alien and you probably will get um, get at least eight thousand points. I've seen. I think the 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 point value for that alien is like from a thousand, from like one thousand all the way up to like ninety eight hundred points. And I think that depends on how much of the ship is left over when you destroy the alien. There have been some times where things get just so crazy and so ridiculous that I've had to shoot that alien early and sometimes I'll get like you know 800 points for it I mean it's the scoring spread for that alien is so wide it's almost borders on the ridiculous okay after you get done with that wave it's the same thing back to the original except now they start coming down in larger formations um, you know, the mini phoenixes start coming down in formations of like four, five, six, seven, eight, or something like that. That can be a problem because you don't have uh, a real good safe spot to be in while they're flying around and, you know, they're dropping bombs as they get close to you. And sometimes you have to use your shield and that puts you in a bad position because some of the formations they come down in, um, some of the formations they come down in are uh, long-lasting, shall we say. You know, they stay, you know, or what's worse, they'll 
come down and they'll they'll sit there uh, in however many in the formation. They'll sit there on the bottom of the screen and then you have to use your shield to kill them. Otherwise, they'll run into you. So, yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, uh, they shoot more, shoot more bombs. It's the same thing once you get down under three or down under four, they'll start moving faster and more aggressive patterns. And it's the same thing with the big phoenixes. Um, now they start off lower on the screen, uh, especially if you don't shoot the ones, the eggs that are closest to you which is probably the best thing to do that gives you a little bit more breathing room uh, for dodging their uh, bombs. And, but again, once they get down to three, much more aggressive, you know, they start shooting more and then they start taking uh, more aggressive paths as they're dive bombing to hit your ship. And when it gets to the point where they're going to hit your ship, it's the best thing to do is to use your shield on them because they'll run into your shield, you know, nine times out of 10 if they're taking that aggressive a stance. And then with the mothership, same thing, except now they'll have more uh, mini phoenixes. They'll have a bunch of them sitting just above the uh, belt shield. And again, more of them start peeling off in formations to try to kill you. And, you know, so now you're trying to get everything, you know, you're trying to dodge their shots, you're trying to dodge them, and they're moving more aggressively, even in the quote-unquote slow stages. Um, best thing to do is to kill as many of them as you can without going four or less. And it's the same thing. Uh, shoot away the belt shield, wear away the hull, shoot the alien. It's time-consuming, and it can be stressful, with all of the uh, mini phoenixes diving at you, but it, that's the only way to guarantee that you get a lot of points because getting high points from the, the mothership is the key to high scores in this game. I mean, there have been games of Phoenix where I have played and I've gotten all the way to like, oh God, I'd say probably sixth or seventh wave. And I only have maybe about 25 to 30,000 points to speak for it because I kept get ripped off when it came to the mothership, as I've said in the previous segment. So it just keeps going and going, and going to lose all of your ships and the game is over. But those are my tactics for Phoenix. Um, they work as long as you are able to stay on the move, able to avoid trouble spots you know, avoid getting corner trapped and also taking your time with the mothership to get as many points as possible. So those are all my strategies and tactics. Uh, any questions? You have a different system of playing this game? Let me know. I'd love to know what you have going on. Brian at gmail.com. Now then, we shall go on the road.
Hey folks, this is Brian, and this is On The Road, coming to you live from my delivery van. Um, I had an arcade run yesterday. I took my godson up to the arcade in Brighton, and we were there from about 2.30 until about quarter of six. And you know, had a good time, put up some more scores, you know, the usual thing you do at an arcade if you're halfway decent at video games. Um, I was pretty happy with the fact that I put up like a score of like 400,000 on Robotron. That was like the first game I played. Um, they actually have a Discs of Tron game in there, which is really cool. I haven't played Discs of Tron since I, the game came out, I think in... It was it 83 or 84? I can't remember exactly. But it was fun to play that game. And actually, I didn't play it first. My godson did. And he's like, what's this? And he's only 15, so he doesn't know the story of Tron. I asked him if he'd seen Tron. He says he thinks he has. But, um... So, I pointed down to the far end of the arcade where there was a Tron machine sitting there. And I said, that came out in 1982. I think this came out in 1983. Maybe even 84. And I hadn't played that game... Oh, God, what, 84? We're talking, what, 34 years now? So it was really cool. He played it and, you know, I was showing him how to play the game. And after that, I just kind of, you know, let him play it. The funny part was he played it once. I showed him how, and then he played it like three or four times before I left in there. And I went and go play Robotron. Um, like I said, I did pretty good at Robotron. You know, I got a score of 440,000, somewhere around there, which is above average for me. My average score is usually somewhere in the 200,000 range. Um, let's see, I played Star Wars. I didn't get the top three, although my name's still up on in second place on the machine, which I'm more than happy with. Uh, let's see, what did I play? I played Asteroids for the first time in a long time. And I got like 40, 40, what, 42,000, I think it was. And I took pictures of the scores I put up and put them on the Instagram page. You can find them at Arcade Addict Brian on Instagram, all one word. Um, I played Mr. Do, I got 180,000, which is above average for me. Uh, I played Vanguard, got, what, what was it, 62,000, I think, something like that, which is way above average for me. I got to the second, uh, second, um, maze, and that's, that was actually pretty cool to do, you know. That was pretty cool. Um, I played Berserk. 
I got 10,000 on Berserk, which is a really good score for me. Usually my score average is about anywhere between four to 6,000. But yeah, I mean, I was really happy about that. Um, let's see, what else did I play? Let's see, I played Pleiades. I got an average score of about 11,000, I think. Then I played Phoenix, and I kept getting ripped off on the scores for the final boss spaceship or space base or whatever you want to call it. And so I only got like, what, 8,000, I think. Uh, let's see, what else? We put, you know, both my godson and I played uh, Wizard of War. Um, I didn't get very far because I was not used to playing on the left side. Usually I play the right side and I usually do a lot better, like, you know, 20, 30,000. But yeah, I didn't get too far there because I was explaining the game as we were playing. And. Oh, excuse me. Oh, boy, excuse me. Oh, that was a yawn. Um, let's see, what else did I play? I played that uh, Hyper Miz Pac-Man with that funky scoring setup. I got a score of like 600,000, which I was pretty happy with. And let's see, what else did I play? I played Defender and I got 95,000, which is... Uh, that's really good considering I haven't played a serious game of Defender since uh, I got that score of 140,000 uh, at um, Pinball Pete's. Um, oh god, how long ago was it? I think that was like two months ago. So I was happy with that. I kind of found it amusing that my godson was playing Stargate and that's like a really hard game to play. Uh, you know, it was kind of funny just to watch him play it. I wanted to give him tips, but I'm like, no, let him play the game and, you know, don't try to coach him. You know, let's see, what else did I play? Um, I kept going back to Star Wars. I think I only got the highest score I got, I think was like a million one, you know. Um, I kept playing Robotron after I scored that 440,000. I don't think I got a score higher than like 150, which is about an average score for me. Um, and that was pretty much it. You know, he was, you know, I was talking to my godson about, you know, Ms. Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man and stuff like that. He was playing regular Pac-Man, which was cool to watch. You know, he was actually starting to lure the ghosts to his location before he ate a power pellet to try to capture them. Uh, let's see, what else did I play? Oh, that's right, I got the high scores on Elevator Action, Jungle Hunt, and Frontline. I was pretty happy about that. Um, let's see. I think that was it. I didn't play Donkey Kong. I didn't play Punch-Out. They got rid of Super Punch-Out, which is kind of a shame. And they cleaned that place up a lot. You know, um, the main floor as you walk in is a lot clearer. And they actually had 
the air conditioning running. So I was like, this is a good thing because they actually listen to the critiques of the people who frequent the place. And that was the biggest critique of the arcade that it was just way too hot in there. I mean, especially in summertime. When, you know, fall and winter time, that won't matter so much. But in summertime, yeah, it's, you can, I mean, even with the AC running, because they've got so many machines in there, I want to say they have like, you know, like somewhere close to 60, 70 machines, more than that actually. I'd say probably closer to 90 machines, maybe even 100, counting all the uh, Japanese imports and newer games and stuff like that, like Injustice and Injustice 2. You know, they probably got close to 100 games on both levels of the, of the place. So there, it can get pretty warm in there. Even with the AC going, you know, you can work up a pretty serious sweat. And that's what I did. And the, the best part about it was actually watching my godson figure out how to play Time Pilot. Now... He got all five high scores on the machine and I could have gone in there and just blown blown it up because I can put up 100,000 on Time Pilot without, you know, even thinking twice about it. But, you know, I let him have that because he was pretty proud of it. And the last game he played, he scored like 80,000, which is respectable. You know, he got to close to the end of 1970 and he was doing really well just you know as something of an expert at the game I mean I think the highest score I ever got on time pile was like 400,000 but you know he was still kind of learning how to fly the time the time fighter because you have to have really good situational awareness for that kind of game, you know, as well as like, you know, a game like Asteroids, which, you know, like I said, I was really surprised I put up a score of 40,000, you know, I was really surprised by that, but, you know, all the old tricks and expanding your sphere of responsibility in that kind of game to see, you know, when the asteroids were coming on a collision course with your ship, you know, all that stuff just came right back to me. I was, I was really, really pleasantly surprised that I did so well at that game. Um, but yeah, he did really, really well in a time pilot. I was really proud of him. I'm like, wow, you did, I haven't said it. You did better at that game than I did at time pilot when I first started playing it when it came out in what 1984 no 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 80 82 it came out in 82 the sequel time pilot 84 obviously came out in 84 um so yeah I was pretty awesome and you know I was just thinking about when I was going to take my own son to the arcade and I figured I'll take him probably when he's like six maybe seven years old you know he's only four now even though he's physically the size of a 
uh, rather uh, size of above average five-year-old. So I figure in a couple of years, I'll start taking him and actually letting him play. I mean, who was I talking to? I'm trying to remember who I was talking. Oh, that's right. I was talking to, I was talking to a friend of mine on Saturday when I was asked, you know, what I was going to be doing Sunday. I said, yeah, I'm going to take my godson to the arcade. And she asked me if I was going to take Marcus. I said, he's too young to actually play the games, you know, at four years old, even though he can operate a smartphone better than I can. But, you know, I figure when he's a little bit bigger, a little bit taller, just let him, you know, play the games and do that kind of stuff. I remember I was, what, when I first discovered the arcade in Trumbull Mall, I was nine, you know, nine, nine years old or eight going on. Nine. It was somewhere, if it was 78, I was eight, I was seven years old going on eight. So yeah, somewhere in there. And you know, yeah, I figure in a couple more years, I'll start, I'll take him to the arcade and I'll actually let him play the games. There were a couple of times I took him to pinball piece and just let him put him in the seat of a driving game and he immediately grabbed the wheel and started moving it like he was driving and moving the gear shift lever like he was changing gears. And <laughs> as funny as this sounds as an arcade junkie, I could not have been more proud of him. <laughs> but yeah, so it was a pretty decent run. You know, I did pretty well at the games that I played and, you know, you know, I had fun, you know, that's all that matters in those things. So that's my arcade run for Sunday, September 23rd, 2018. So this is Brian saying good gaming and au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is... The Confessions of an Arcade Addict Podcast.